Thank you, Pastor John. We needed that tonight. Didn't we? As he was singing, he sings of this dark war that we are all caught up in. And he, he sang, I don't remember just how he put it, but he sang about those who have fallen in battle. And immediately when I'm standing in the wings, the Spirit brings some faces of some very dear people I love. And I'm saying, God, don't let them go down in this battle. Just save them, save them, save them. The good news is, though, that at Calvary, the war got won. There's still some messy battles and mop-up to do on this planet. But, oh, John, thank you. We, we needed that. It is finished. Don't miss tomorrow morning when we will zero in on that one line out of the fourth gospel. Boy, I've been blessed tonight. Sat out there during this concert. Does it get any better than this to welcome the Sabbath? Come on, be honest. Does it get any better than this? <laughs> Boy. And to think in heaven, we're going to have nonstop concert after concert after concert. And they're going to even let you and me sing. <laughs> I'm getting that song ready. They laughed at me in this life, but they won't laugh in the next life. We'll carry a tune in heaven. Yes, we will. Yeah. And two of the songs tonight in the concert, did you notice that? One vocal and the other harmonica near the cross, near the cross. Our theme. We started out Wednesday night, which was Thursday night in the Passion Weekend. We started out with Jesus in the upper room. We're going to spend three of our sessions. Tonight is number two of the three on Friday. And then don't miss tomorrow night, Sunday. We're looking at that weekend, and we're asking God, please, keep me near the cross. Not just for a little camp meeting like this. Keep me near the cross 24-7 until Jesus comes. That's our prayer. So I want to pray with you and then plunge into our teaching tonight. Dramatic story. We'll go to the Word first, kind of set up, then go to the dramatic story. And I am praying that some of you tonight will make a decision. Now, that's not the decision you're thinking of but that you will make a decision tonight. It'll be a hard one. But if you don't make it, the other man, the other woman won't make it. You make the decision. Listen carefully to Jesus at the cross. You make the decision, and you can be the healer's instrument in restoring what has been broken. Let's pray together. Oh, God. It is finished. We praise you. In advance, we already know how the story ends. Calvary is clear, clarion death cry. But tonight, we're before that death cry. Tonight, another word from the cross. Let it be crystal clear. And may there be healings around this earth because of our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's get to that story quickly, but first, the Gospel of Luke. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. So uh, we were in the upper room Thursday night. We're in the Gospel of John, John, John 13, the 11th commandment. Last night, we're in Matthew. 
we're not going to look at Mark because Matthew and Mark, the two synoptics, are, are the closest in their recitation of Calvary. But we're going now to Luke, Luke chapter 23. I want to pick it up. I love this picture of Jesus, and I want you to see it. Nobody ever preaches on these words, but why shouldn't we read them? Luke chapter 23, I'm in the New King James Version. Glad you brought a Bible. You know, if I'm back at Andrews University, 3,600 kids, I'd say pull out your phone, pull out your iPad, let's just read the word. Oh, you got your phone. Good. Nice choice of a phone, by the way. All right. Luke chapter 23, let's pick it up in verse 27. And a great multitude of people followed Jesus and women. A lot of times when we tell the story of Jesus, the women just get left out. They're just marginalized and pushed to the side. But they are front and center in Luke. Luke will not leave them out. And women who also mourned and lamented him were in that great multitude. Verse 28, but, when, but Jesus, turning to them, if I'm going to my death, I'm thinking of one person on this earth, and that's me. I wouldn't have time or energy to think of any other soul. But Jesus turns to them. I love this picture. And Jesus says to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. He's, he's on his way to his execution, and he, he tenderly ministers to them. There is always somebody else on the mind of Jesus 24-7. He spends not a moment in self-reflection. He's always focused on others. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, blessed are wombs that never bore, blessed are breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say, To the mountains fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? And ladies and gentlemen, as my friend Steve Bohr has been teaching here, we are approaching the driest season of earth's history. The green is gone. It's all dry. Verse 32, there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Read a dramatic book written by a survivor of the Holocaust named Simon Wiesenthal. He died just a few months ago. Titled the book, The Sunflower. In the book, the, openings, the opening to the book is his telling of that dark and gripping narrative when as a boy in that Polish Nazi concentration camp, one morning on a work detail, minding his own business, when a Polish nurse comes up behind him, taps the Jewish boy on the shoulder, and then motions to him, not a word, you follow me, boy. He obediently follows into the Polish hospital, up a dark stairway, down shadowy hallway, until finally she opens the door to a hospital room. He steps inside the room, and when his eyes finally adjust to the shadows, he sees a bed. On the bed, somebody lying draped with a sheet up to the neck. The head is entirely bandaged. Four holes, four holes. One for the mouth, one for the nose, two for the ears. And where the eyes would have been, 
yellow-gray stain. The nurse slips away, and young Simon is all alone. Now, he picks it up right here. From the bed, I'm reading his words now. From the bed, I heard a weak, broken voice exclaim, Please come nearer. I can't speak loudly. Now I could see in the semi-darkness the figure in the bed more clearly, white, bloodless hands on the counterpane, head completely bandaged. Hesitatingly, I sat down on the edge of the bed. The sick man, perceiving this, said softly, Please come a little nearer. To talk loudly is exhausting. I obeyed. His almost bloodless hand groped for mine as he tried to raise himself slightly in the bed. I sat on the bed spellbound. I could not take my eyes off of the stricken man. And the yellow-gray stains on the bandages seemed to, to me to be moving, taking new shapes before my eyes. I have not much longer to live, whispered the sick man in a barely audible voice. I know the end is near. What follows is a surreal, almost tortured confession of this dying Nazi SS soldier. Sympathy on that part of the nurse has found a Jew. He has asked for a Jew to be brought to him before he dies. He wanted to confess his sins. He, a backslidden Christian, wanted to confess his sins to a Jew. He told the boy he'd only been following orders when his commander had insisted that they herd 150 to 200 Jews into that farmhouse on the Russian front. They doused the house with gasoline, tossed in some grenades, and then stood on the perimeter with their machine guns, gunning down any who dared to escape. Now dying, he pours out his heart, the nightmares that will not let him go. And now he speaks these words, I know what I've told you is terrible. In the long nights while I have been waiting for death, time and again I have longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. Only I didn't know whether there were any Jews left. I know that what I am asking is almost too much for you, but without your answer I cannot die in peace. Will you forgive me? The bandaged head begs. Young Simon, you imagine the boy, stands there just stunned and silent. A battle inside his young heart, raging. Wiesenthal later writes, What a contrast between the glorious sunshine outside and the shadow of this bestial age here in the death chamber. I stood up. I looked in his direction at his folded hands. At last I made up my mind, and without a word, I left the room. Will you forgive me? Wiesenthal, who begins his book with that, that, that heart-breaking narrative, 25 years later, still haunted by his decision not to forgive this pleading Nazi SS soldier, 
Wiesenthal, who, by the way, miraculously, obviously, survived the Holocaust but lost 86 of his family members to that tragedy. He ends his narrative with these words, You who have just read this sad and tragic episode in my life can mentally change places with me and ask yourself the crucial question, What would I have done? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I ask you, you're watching on television right now, I'm asking you as well, would you have forgiven him? Hmm? If you were a Jew, would you have forgiven him? If you were an African-American, would you have forgiven? If you were the victim of childhood sexual abuse by somebody who knew better, would you have forgiven him? If you're the innocent party in an extramarital affair, would you have forgiven him? If you're a divorcee, would you have forgiven him? If you're a parent whose heart was shattered into a thousand pieces when your child ran away, would you have forgiven him? Keep reading. Verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The story of a Jew named Simon Wiesenthal pushed up close next to the story of a Jew named Jesus of Nazareth. When the yellow-stained hospital bed and the red-stained cross are juxtaposed, what do we do? What shall we do? Simon Wiesenthal sent his story to 53 distinguished men and women. We're talking about theologians, political leaders, writers, jurists, psychiatrists, human rights activists, Holocaust survivors, victims of attempted genocide in Bosnia, Cambodia, China, and Tibet. The rest of the book is a collection of their responses. One professor, Eva Fleischner, who is professor emerita of religion at Montclair State University. She notes an interesting, in her, in her reply, she notes an interesting division of student opinions in her use of Wiesenthal's book over the past 20 years in her Holocaust class. One, and she's writing now, one striking feature of these animated discussions has been that almost without exception, the Christian students come out in favor of forgiveness while the Jewish students feel that Simon did the right thing by not granting the dying man's wishes. So would you have forgiven that pleading Nazi SS soldier. If you were a Jew, would you have forgiven? If you were an African-American, would you have forgiven? Abuse, 
the whole litany of our broken lives, would you forgive? That Jesus forgives is clear from the narrative. The question from the narrative is, do we forgive? I mean, we, ex we expect Jesus to forgive. After all, Jesus is the one who taught us to pray. Pray it out loud with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And hit the pause button right there. We pray that prayer all the time. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Except the King James didn't get the Greek tense correct. It's the aorist tense. And it actually reads, Jesus' prayer reads like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgave our debtors. It's past. As we have in the past, you go ahead and do in the present. That's what we're praying. The only commentary Jesus ever gives to this model prayer of all prayers is right there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Just, just keep your finger right here because we'll come back. But uh, go, go to the uh, Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. You know this, but I want you to get to the commentary. The only, the only line he comments on. He has seven petitions in this prayer. You know, a lot of people say, you know, when we, when we pray, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be asking God for anything. You ought to just say, thank you, Jesus. Well, that's good counsel to say, thank you, Jesus. But the model prayer, seven of those petitions are lined up on the runway to take off. Seven times. It's a series of petitions. It begins right here. What is this? Verse 9, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, forgive our debtors, although it actually reads, as we forgave our debtors. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are seven of them. You just repeated seven petitions. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But too often we stop with the amen. He will make only one commentary in his lifetime on that model prayer, and it immediately follows right here. Verse 14, for if you forgive men and women, if you forgive men and women their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, verse 15, if you do not forgive men and women their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That is an amazing commentary. We prefer not to have to read those words. It's just seven beautiful petitions. God, please, seven times over, give to me. Jesus says, all right, he will. He will. But that, one, that line about forgiveness, you will only get forgiven if you are a forgiver. You say, oh, twice. That is, what a grumpy God. Kind of mean I mean, why are you withholding forgiveness from me if I don't forgive somebody? Ladies and gentlemen, he's not being mean. He's not being grumpy or cruel. He's being logical. He's being utterly fair. He's saying, hey, Dwight, I want to forgive you. I'll forgive every sin you bring to me. Bring it to me. But there's one sin you're not, for, you're not bringing to me. 
What's that, Lord? You're not bringing to me an unforgiving heart. And that's a sin. And if you don't bring to me an unforgiving heart, I can't forgive. I'll forgive the others, but you're still stuck. One sin is like them all. You still have one. That unforgiving heart, I will not... Are you kidding? After what she said about me, she spread it all over this city. After what he's done to me, everybody knows my life has been ruined because of that. And you're asking me to just, okay, forgive, forgive, forgive. I'm not going to forgive. Jesus says, ah, that's too bad. Because I can't forgive you. He's not being mean. He says, you got it in your hand. I can't get it out of your fingers. You are so bitter. You are so hurt. You are so furious with this world and with me. You're furious with the church. You're furious with the school. You're furious with your place of work. You're furious with your husband. You're furious with your wife. You're furious with your family. You're furious with your friends. You will let go and I can't forgive you. You will die with that sin. If you forgive others, your Father in heaven will forgive you. If you don't, he won't. It's the God's golden rule of forgiveness. And the only reason it exists is because God is so passionately committed to your free choice. He says, I'll let you. You want to be angry? You want to spend the rest of your life bitter? Okay. You can have it. I won't take it away. And if I don't take it away, you're not forgiven. I can't. You won't give it to me. That point is so, so urgent in Jesus' mind, by the way, that in Matthew, he will eventually tell a parable. It happened on a day when Peter came to him, and Peter said, Lord, I've just been thinking about this forgiveness thing. I mean, this, this, is, big, this is tough stuff you're asking of us. But I've been thinking, Lord, you know, the rabbis say, based on, as it turns out, an errant interpretation of Amos 1, 3 and following, the rabbis say that three, three forgivenesses is the max. <laughs> Jesus. I am saying seven. What if I forgave my brother seven times? Would that make you happy? Jesus looks into the face of the big fisherman whom he loves with all his heart who before the story of Thursday night is over will be desperately in need of what he's not willing to give more than seven times in front of the whole blooming world with every fisherman's oath he can imagine Peter will curse the name of Jesus I do not know this blankety blank blank Man at all. But he tells Peter in advance of that. It's pretty good, Pete. Seven times. No, I say to you, seven times 70, or some translations say 77 times. But ladies and gentlemen, seven times 70 or 77, it doesn't matter. That just means you go on forgiving. No matter how many times your heart has been broken and your life has been trashed by the people who knew better by the people who knew better. You don't think she knew what she was doing? You don't think he knew what he was doing? Of course he knew. Of course she knew. You don't think 
the Roman soldiers and the chief priests know what they're doing on this awful Friday we now call good? You don't think they know? Of course they know what they're doing. As they're driving that nail into the hands of God, the creator of this universe, God made flesh. Jesus opens his mouth and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, what is it? It says prayer. Read it again. Verse 33, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, read it out loud with me, will you? Sort of pretend like you're praying it. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What do you mean, Jesus? They don't know what they do. They know exactly what they're doing. But isn't that amazing? He attributes their act, their heinous act against him as done in ignorance. They didn't know what they were doing. They don't know, Father. They don't know. He didn't know. She didn't know. She knew. But the Savior gives the benefit of the doubt. He says, Father, Dwight doesn't know what he's doing. Forgive him again, please. Isn't that something? That is something. So Jesus, he tells us, he says, Peter, 70 times 7 or 77. Oh, Peter, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a king who hired an accountant one day to come in, bring in the big guns. The CPAs come in for an audit. And they're going through the books of the kingdom and they come across. Can you believe? Is this true? They pull the calculators out again. They calculate it again. One of the king's servants owes him more than a lifetime of debt. In fact, if you took all the accumulated taxes of Palestine and Idumea and, and, and Judea, all the taxes in the time of Jesus, this servant owes more. We're talking about just a little servant who, owe, who owes the universe to the king. And the servant comes in. You ever, you ever hear this story? You probably haven't heard it. The servant comes in. The servant comes in. And the king said, yo, what do you think I am? A nincompoop? I can read these books. You owe me. You owe me huge. It'll take you 20 lifetimes to pay it off, but let's start. And the servant, goes, the servant falls to his face. And what does the servant do? Please, I beg of you, king. I beg of you. It's what you and I do with God. The impossible. We, I beg of you, give me enough time and I'll pay it off. You know how much time you need? You need 20 lifetimes, boy. Give me enough time and I'll pay it off. And Jesus tells the story. The king's heart is touched by the pathetic plea. The ignorant assumption that you can ever pay me off. The king's heart is touched. He says, I forgive you. Get up. Now don't do it again. <laughs> that servant goes out singing zippity doo da, zippity a. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. He's floating on air. About halfway down the block from the palace, here comes a buddy of his, a fellow servant. Guy owes me money. 
The debt ratio is 600,000 to 1. Okay? 600,000 to 1. The other guy owed 20 lifetimes. This guy owes 100 days of wages. 600,000 to 1. He grabbed him on the shoulder and said, you pay up, buddy. You Listen, I know you thought we were friends, but listen, no more. You pay up. The guy, the identical language that the first servant uses in the presence of the king, this servant uses with his buddy. He says, listen, just give me the time. A hundred days, I can do this. And it really is doable. He said, no, you pay it now. You pay it now. It's, or you and your wife and your children are gone. You're all in jail until you pay it up. You know the story. Throws them in jail. The other servants hear it and say, this is absolutely duplicitous. Hypocrisy to the max. They go and tell the king, you're not going to believe this. 600,000 to one, oh, oh majesty. King calls him back in. What were you thinking? I just forgave you, the universe. And you won't forgive him? You won't forgive her, that little? And then Jesus in Matthew 18, makes the identical application as he does to the Lord's Prayer. If you forgive, so your Father in heaven will treat you. If you forgive others, he'll forgive you. If you won't forgive your fellow man, fellow woman, neither will you be forgiven. Wow. Luke 23, verse 33, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, they're nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You want to, you want to read a stirring commentary on this radical prayer? Desire of Ages. Every Bible I have on the top of the page for, for this prayer, I have scribbled these words, Desire of Ages, page 745. See if I can read it in this light. That prayer of Christ, listen to this, that prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world, the whole world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Now listen, upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. How many is all, as far as this room and all the viewers on uh, television are concerned? How many is all? How, 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 how big is all? Is all pretty much all? All right. Upon all. Rest the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. And now the last line. To all, forgiveness is freely offered. Jesus forgave the whole planet on the cross. Forgave everybody. Forgave everybody. We're all guilty of that crimson stain. We're all forgiven. That prayer... Father, forgive them. They did not know what they were doing. That prayer was for Dwight and you. It's prayers for all. Upon all rest the guilt. To all, forgiveness is freely offered. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do.
the actual meaning of the Greek word, afiemi, in the Greek, in the original language, for forgive. It means to release. If it's a debt, you release the debt. I know you owe me. I release you. I release you. The debt no longer stands. It means to let go. To let go. I'm ashamed to tell you that I know two grown men who got into a little spat. Some tiny little nothing that they allowed to get bigger and bigger. They were, they were, they were buds. They did everything together. Got into this spat. They won't talk to each other. Their wives are, 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 are kept apart until they quietly get together. Two grown men. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll try a little shuttle diplomacy back and forth. Unbelievable. How old did you say you were? We laugh, we laugh. We're no better. We're no better. Sometimes that line is drawn so deeply in the sand that I'm too proud now to ever step over it again. The only way that line will ever be crossed is if I swallow my ego, if I swallow my pride and I say, okay, I was wrong for letting this go this long. I step across the line. I release, afiemi, I release you. I release the debt you owe me. I will never in my mind bring it up again. I will never to you bring it up again. Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. Father, forgive her. She didn't know what she was doing. I release you. That's forgiveness. I got an, got an email from one of our viewers just last year. What she, what, in connection with what she was writing me, but I thought this was something here. Dear Pastor Nelson, thank you for your prompt reply. Blah, 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 blah. Regarding forgiveness, so she gets into this. Regarding forgiveness, I read something that went like this. I thought this was choice. I read something that, that went like this. Those who are the first to apologize are the bravest. It's true. It takes a man to be a woman and cross that line. I just want to see if you're awake at this hour of the night. I'm not sure which time zone you're in, but I just want to make sure you were there. All right. It, you know, it takes strength. It takes guts. It takes guts to forgive somebody, especially when they're not asking. I don't, want, I don't need your forgiveness. The, those who are the first to apologize are the bravest. Those who are the first to forgive are the strongest. And those who are the first to forget are the happiest. Isn't that good? Oh, I thought that was very good. Yeah. Of course it's hard. But you go to bed at night and sleep like a baby because you let it go. You just released it. You said that debt is no more mine. You don't owe me a penny. For some of you, it is a financial debt that is owed you. And it's a tough thing to let that go because you're never going to get it anyway. 
But you're going to hold it and kill yourself right here. You're going to hold it and kill yourself. You're going to die a bitter old man. Bitter. Mad. I was wronged. And it is wrong. And you're right, it's wrong. It was wrong to nail the God of this universe to a cross. That's terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. Father, I plead with you. Forgive them. They don't know what's up. They don't know what they're doing. Do not hold this against them in their account. Release the debt. I release them. Father, I release them. When Christ forgives you, that's what he does. The debt is forever gone. You'll be singing zippity doo da too. Just gone. It's just gone. Vanished. There's not a book he pulls out and says, oh, by the way, remember when I did this for you? It's buried. Micah 7 says it's buried. He takes our sins and buries them in the depths of the sea. Uh, one of the respondents to uh, Simon Wiesenthal's letter, hey, would you mind responding, was the well-known uh, rabbi, Harold Kushner. You remember Harold Kushner, why bad things happen to good people? You remember that rabbi, very well-known American rabbi. He wrote his response, and I, I want to share because he tells a story in it. Here it is. He, he uh, in his essay, he tells the story of a woman in his congregation who comes to visit him, okay? So she's coming to visit him, the rabbi. She is a single mother. I'm reading his words now. She is a single mother, divorced, working to support herself and three young children. She says to me, since my husband walked out on us, every month is a struggle to pay our bills. I have to tell my kids, we have, we have no money to go to the movies while he's living it up with his new wife in another state. How can you tell me to forgive him? You can feel it. I answer her, I am not asking you to forgive him because what he did was acceptable. It was not. It was mean. It was selfish. But I am asking you to forgive because he does not deserve the power to live in your head and turn you into a bitter, angry woman. He has, he has authority and control over you by your permission. I, uh, the rabbi goes on, I'd like to see him out of your life emotionally as well as completely as he is out of it physically. But you keep holding on to him. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment. You are hurting yourself. End quote. A little book, Christ's Object Lessons. Very perceptive. Nothing, nothing can justify an unforgiving spirit. Nothing. No hurt. No wrong, no pain, just go to the cross. It doesn't get worse than that. And Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. I want to end with a story. End with a story. This is a story told by one of the great prison wardens of the West, Kenyon J. Scudder. He used to love to tell this story. And I'm just going to read it to you about, it, about the time a friend of his. Okay, so, so the warden has a friend. A friend of his was on a train and noticed that the young man sitting next to him was feeling very low. What happened was unforgettable. The young fellow confessed that he was a convict just released from a distant penitentiary. I'm going to get up early tomorrow and go to a prison and preach before we're together at 11 in the morning. 
The young man confessed that he was a convict just released from a distant penitentiary. His whole life had cast such a dark shadow over his family and they had seemed to suffer such shame from his criminal record that he had lost almost all contact with them. He couldn't help hoping against hope, however, that they had forgiven him and that the almost dead silence of many years meant that they were too poor or perhaps too ill or illiterate to write. So before his prison sentence was up, he had devised this plan to find out how they felt, one that would not be too hard on them or him. He wrote a letter home explaining that he would be on this train which passed their little farm at the outskirts of town. If they could forgive him, they were to hang a white ribbon on the old apple tree near the tracks. If it was not hanging there when he came by, he would not bother them ever, ever again. As the train approached the familiar landmarks of his boyhood days, the suspense became more than he could bear and he changed seats with his companion who watched out the window for him. In a minute, the tree was in sight. And eyes bright with sudden tears, his companion placed his hand on the boy's knee and whispered hoarsely, It's all right. The whole tree is white with ribbons. Isn't that beautiful? It's the story of Calvary. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight the whole tree is white with ribbons. You can come home. Have you been running? You can come home. Have you been afraid? You've been ducking when God comes around. You can come home. You've been forgiven. You have not shamed God. You've only awakened in his heart a longing to draw you, draw you, draw you back into his embrace. Father, please forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Pray the prayer of the cross and you will sleep tonight and every night until Jesus comes in quiet peace. The tree is covered with ribbons. Let's pray. Oh God. Oh God. The picture of Calvary stained Crimson with the blood of the Lamb of God, covered, wrapped in white ribbons tonight. How can we, how can we ever be the same again with the truth of that one prayer? Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. She didn't know what she was doing. Father, we can't come to the end of this moment. We can't come to this Calvary moment and not, and not respond. And so while every head is still bowed in prayer and every heart with a tear in your eye perhaps lifted up to heaven, I want to make two appeals tonight. These are very specific appeals. Appeal number one, if you need to come to the Savior tonight and let Him wrap that white all around you and take those, those guilty rags and throw them away, you need to come back to the Savior tonight. I want to invite you to stand. And by standing, you're saying, God, I receive that forgiveness. I don't want to run. I don't want to duck when you come round. I want to be all yours. 
I want to be washed clean. Jesus, that prayer took me in. You're going to forgive me tonight that I'm coming. I am yours tonight. If you want to send that prayer to heaven, I want you to stand to your feet, please. Jesus sees you stand. He knows your heart. He knows. He is so grateful that you've given him the reason. Now permission to set you free. God bless you. Now, this, uh, this, this, that, that's, a, that's a tough prayer, but this other prayer is just as hard, if not harder. I want to make an invitation tonight to every man, woman, and young adult, and teenager here, and everyone who's watching right now on television. I want to make an invitation. Is there somebody in your life that needs to be forgiven tonight? Somebody that needs to hear from you. Maybe an email. Maybe a phone call. Maybe just a walk across an auditorium. Maybe just a hand across a bed. Is there somebody tonight who needs to hear you say, I forgive you. I release the debt. You don't owe me. You don't owe me. I've let it go. That somebody may not write back to you. That somebody may not hug back to you. That somebody may not talk back to you. But take the Jesus step. They didn't talk back to him at the cross. Some had finally sunk in days later. But that's okay. You take the Jesus step. Make that contact. If there's somebody in your life tonight and you need the Spirit of Jesus to give you Holy Spirit power to pray His prayer and to release them, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Nobody knows the story. Who cares? But you need this. You need this physical affirmation that I am going to act, Lord Jesus, on your prayer at Calvary. And so I want to invite you to stand to your feet and say, Jesus, give me that grace. Give me that courage. Give me your mind and your heart for this person, Christ Jesus. And I'll release her. I'll release him. And I'll trust you. Any others tonight? You need to come to Jesus for his radical cleansing forgiveness. Or you need his courage and strength to forgive in his name those who must hear from you before they die, before you die. This is the hour. God bless you. And then to the others here, would you like to dedicate yourself tonight to be like Jesus and to live this spirit of forgiveness wherever you go for the rest of your life? Would you stand to your feet as well? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.